0: Hi, Javi. Hi, Mace. It's finally the best time of the year.
1: Horror movie season.
0: That's right, folks. For the next few weeks, Queertown is going to be celebrating the horror, the macabre, the supernatural, and yes, even the spooky.
1: Because there's so much about genre filmmaking that we love in the queer community. So buckle up, babes, and keep all your limbs inside the vehicle as we enter Feertown. Ooh! (gasps) What? <laughs> it's, 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 it's fear <laughs> <view> town. <time. laughs> <laughs> Is that doing?
0: And thanks to our friends at We Love Video for hosting today's episode.
1: Located in the heart of North Loop's classically Austin business district, We Love Video is a nonprofit video rental library, screening space, and cultural center.
0: In an era when streaming services are pulling movies and TV series without advance notice, the preservation of physical media is more important now than ever.
1: Yeah, did you know that you still can't stream the 1961 film The Innocents starring Deborah Kerr? Did you know that?
0: What is that movie?
1: (laughs) It's a great movie. Uh, actually, I haven't seen it. I heard it recommended recently. I was like, I <laughs> want to find that movie. And it's very difficult to find. And it's here? Um, I haven't but found yes, it yet. It's yes. here. We're going to say it's yes, here. Yes. yes.
2: Okay. You should come down and look for it. Absolutely. If it's not here, it yes. means it was rented.
0: <laughs> <laughs> 100%. You know, uh, that voice that we just heard, I think, deserves an introduction. Joining us for our maiden voyage through Fear Town is seasoned film festival programmer, journalist, and filmmaker Bears Rebecca Fonte. Welcome, Welcome to, to Queer
1: Oh wow, your voices sound great together. Thank you.
0: Thank you. We've been working on
1: it. That, yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's a lot of stuff about your career that we'd love to discuss. But first, we'd love to dive into why it is that so many of us in the queer community love scary movies.
0: Yeah, we've talked about this subject on the show before with Trace Thurman of Horror Queers, but we really just were able to touch upon the tip of that iceberg. And Bears Rebecca, as someone who's made several horror movies, we'd love to hear what keeps you coming back to this genre.
2: I think horror movies have always been about outsiders. Usually it's the lone killer or it's the lone uh, survivor um, who stands out from the rest of the group, the only one who figures it out. And I think as uh, as, as a queer, um, we are also outsiders. So we are able to identify both with the killer sometimes and also with um, the victim or the survivor. And then also, I mean, kind of sadly for years uh, Hollywood has used queers as the uh, as um, sort of scapegoats of movies and and excuses to uh, draw attention to people's outsiderness so I think that that slipped really easily into horror films uh, as a uh, as an excuse for someone to be a slasher um, it's very interesting that that, that has happened and I, and I think that uh, in the recent years we've been doing a better job of sort of reclaiming our power over that and sort of embracing that like, yes, we do love horror film. And yes, it's okay. Queers can kill people too on, on screen. And it doesn't have to be offensive. It can just, it can just be, you know, I have the right to kill people just like anybody else has the right to
0: kill people. <laughs> Equal
1: <laughs> opportunity murder.
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs> That's what we want. God damn it.
1: <laughs> do you have um, early memories of connecting I, mean, I don't know about like your history but in terms of like connecting your queer identity while watching horror movies
2: you know i think that the first one that always comes to mind and i don't know if this is just in retrospect is nightmare on elm street 2 oh,
1: which, mm-hmm. which
2: came out oh. when i was you know still in in uh Elem- it came out when I was in junior high and uh
0: you were about to say elementary school it, well, yeah I was like
2: oh that's not true I was trying to remember what sleepover I was at that, that we watched <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. And, right how old we were and um yeah that movie just always felt very other and uh, and it, I just remember having a conversation with somebody going it was so cool that the the main character was this guy and he wasn't like a you know it wasn't just a screaming girl running away from everybody and everyone else was like no that's lame yeah. and I was like oh okay I guess I'm different, you know. And it was it was an interesting moment, and then people made fun of that movie for years. Like yeah. if that was not the movie you were like, oh, we're gonna watch, we're gonna spend all night watching Nightmare on Elm Street, and it would be like one, three, four. Right.
0: Oh, they just totally bypassed oh, it. Skipped it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I watched that movie for the first time last year, and it blew my mind how gay it is. Like from start Absolutely. to finish, it is not a straight movie.
2: Well, the director and the screenwriter and a lot of like the production team—they're all gay—and so they they slipped mm. in as many things as they as they could. And of course, the lead actor was not out at the time, mm. um, but he was gay. Yeah. And um, and they didn't they didn't avoid it. I think on set, I, I there was a really great documentary about about his journey as an actor that played um, a couple film festivals last uh, I think it was two years ago mm-hmm. and um, I think you'll have to find in post what that was because I can't remember the name
1: uh, it's called Scream Queen Th- thank you Scream it's-
2: Queen yeah, it makes sense mm-hmm. um, yeah and uh, you know I think that uh, it was very interesting to hear him talk about like that that he was just being himself and then it was sort of didn't realize after until afterwards like what had happened but the but the studio didn't get involved the studio didn't realize anything was going
0: on that's so fascinating because watching the movie he does scream and he does have a lot of like kind of like histrionic reactions to things in a way that female characters often do at least in that era
1: oh yeah it's a full Jamie Lee Curtis scream <laughs> that he has uh, in that movie yeah I
0: liked. I'd
2: like to think that the studio was like, "Oh, this is cool. It's different. Let's do it." And, and that's why they, that's why they said yes. Yeah. I mean, it could also just been the first one was such a hit, and like they were, they didn't realize it was going to be such a hit that yeah. they were like, "We're just going to let them do what they want to do because, you know, we think
1: we've got something." Yeah. There's an incredible anecdote uh, from when they were filming that movie because it is also interesting because, like, thematically, that movie is very different from the other Nightmare movies in that. Um, Freddy is kind of like living inside of the main character. He literally comes out of him at one point. Oh, yeah. Uh, And so there's um, a a lot of theorizing around that and sort of like what that meant. Um, But throughout the movie, especially like the first half of the movie, um, Freddie's really uh, seducing him uh, so that he can be brought back into the real world. And so there is a scene where he's like very gently caressing um, Jesse's face. with his glove and he's like caressing the side of his face um, with the blades. And when they were filming it, uh, Robert Englund, who plays Freddy, uh, put his blades in his mouth um, <laughs> as kind of like a flirtatious <laughs> thing. And like one of like somebody on set was like ran up to the main character and was like, you cannot do that. Yeah. Mm. Like that is a line too far. So someone uh, knew what was happening. Somebody knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But it's just, yeah, no, it is well If you watch that movie, there are so many little
0: things where you're like, what? My favorite part was the scene with the coach at, the leather bar. Oh yeah. Mm. <laughs> like, how was that approved? <laughs> I mean, any time.
2: Well, I mean, anytime you go to a leather bar, I mean, clearly. But we've been seeing that on screen since like the late '70s. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, that we're only a couple years removed from cruising, so right. it wasn't yeah, that I mean. crazy. Whereas, like five years later, they would never have done that. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, yeah. oh, we can't go there, even though we had gone there. Yeah. And, and then if we're gonna talk about like um, movies that you saw at an early age that are horror movies that sort of really affected you, I can't avoid uh, thinking. about about Silence of the Lambs, because mm-hmm. Silence of the Lambs being probably my first uh, like face-to-face uh, visual of someone who's trans or someone yeah. who you know claimed to be trans, which I, I think there's some real problematic stuff sure. with 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 that identity issue. I don't actually really think he's trans, but they say that, and. Um, and I and I know I saw that and, and took that inside and internalized like oh that's a you know that's a bad thing the, you know the, the, and and how everybody was so frightened by that and then you know and then a few years later I got like crying game which is you know not a horror film but it's also I just remember how everybody felt with that movie and the surprise
0: mm-hmm. yeah they always talk about the big reveal. Yeah. At least when discussing that movie.
2: Yeah, which is ridiculous because that actually is a beautiful movie. It's mm-hmm. about so much more than that, but yeah. it's become about the, the scene. Um and um you know, it's just it's just a great great film and I think that um the lead character in that with it's one of the first times like identified with of somebody on screen that I thought that I that that was female and I was like oh you know I I really get that I get you know and and so I think Silence of the Lambs is like it's like the worst version to get when you're in in high school and you're trying to figure out who you are and your and your gender identity and and it's like you know unfortunately we don't have that situation anymore like we now have yeah. some better but if but just imagine in a world before that if that's the first thing you see on screen of of someone who's saying they're trans and then that was never going to be a possibility for me you know for years because right. it's just like well that's obviously that's wrong
0: one is such a blatant villainy and in everything about it is framed in this like kind of like dark sinister way as well
2: it's i mean it's the worst possible version of I want to be inside I want to be inside a woman's skin. So therefore yeah. I will kill a woman and, and put it on me. Sorry if I just ruined silence and Language. <laughs> um, but uh <laughs>
0: yeah thirty year old spoiler. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you know part but it's it's just um that kind of identity under that understanding of what it means to be trans is so wrong. Uh and I and I'm sure that it fucked with people's heads for, for years. Yeah. Yeah. It's a major damage to our community.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Were you ever a Sleepaway Camp fan? No, no,
2: no I never saw that. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. yeah, I never saw that as a kid. Yeah. Th-
1: that is, that's a movie that I can't, I'm. Um, uh, have you seen it? No. Oh, my God, I highly recommend it. It is so campy, pun intended, um, but the, the famous thing, and I, I guess I won't spoil it here, but it involves gender, and it's the last frame of the movie, and it's, pretty iconic for horror I think in retrospect it's a little problematic but I think it's the same thing as like there's a lot of movies that we look back on that were like problematic but we also still have a lot of affection for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the role that it played I mean like yeah nightmare I keep pointing because uh, Freddie's back behind us uh, here in the oh <laughs> in yeah the look at that yeah uh, nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> too. hi Freddie'
2: um, revenge Freddy on video cassette
1: <laughs> yeah um but yeah because I think ultimately I mean that movie's pretty homophobic i think ultimately when when you kind of like um look at it but it's still like a movie that like i i love that movie i'm always i'm constantly talking about that movie. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i went to that screening and like mm. took pictures with the cast because uh, i was just like so stoked about it but i don't know yeah it's interesting but i definitely recommend sleepaway camp for sure
0: do you recommend it from like a quality standpoint or like it's so bad it's good
1: uh, the latter.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of those like older horror movies where it's like, I don't know, in modern sensibility and modern eyes is not exactly the scariest thing, but it's just fun. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. It also has my favorite line in a movie where uh, the other thing about like um, horror movies, especially from the 80s, is that they constantly were killing um, boys and men uh, who were so scantily clad. And that was, very I was, was very impressionable for me um, as a child uh, Yeah,
2: th- well that's why you never wanted to have sex because you didn't want to get down to your underwear <laughs> exactly when you got down to your underwear you were dead you were
0: dead yeah
1: there's a great line where they're playing uh, 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 baseball and somebody goes hey Jimmy eat shit and die and he turns around he goes eat shit and live and I was like what an incredible <laughs> read that's amazing <laughs> you
2: gotta live with that now <laughs> the rest of your life you know that you ate shit <laughs>
0: Oh, that is delightful. So, Bears Rebecca, I understand that you came out as trans while working on a narrative short called Conversion Therapy. Uh, Kind of walk us through that experience.
2: Yeah. um, It was a a short film that I had been working on for a while, like writing the script, and I didn't quite understand what it was about. And as as I wrote it, it became about somebody... Uh, It it was a torture porn script, and I really wanted, I wanted the challenge of writing a torture porn script where you would actually identify with the person doing the torturing, and so that was very difficult, and I kept going through different scenarios, and as I was writing, the person who was being tortured ended up being one of these Pray the Gay Away ministers Mm. um, who uh, were really awful. And It it was after the the Pulse shooting, Mm. um, the massacre, and I remember I remember watching the news and seeing these guys, uh, these these ministers, and they would say things like, well, you know, at at least uh, the, the terrorists did God's work. And I was so angry about that, that I was like, that person? That person I want to kill. And so I put that person in the chair. And then and then I put myself as the killer. But I never wrote myself. I always wrote uh, for a female. Um, I had an actress that has been in every one of my films. Um, and uh, I always like wrote a part for her. And she became sort of my on-screen avatar. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, I realized, like, oh, it's not just because I want her to... Play my role in the film. It's because I want to play her. I want to mm. be her. I want her. I want to look like that and act like that and be like that. And so I was creating essentially my own character on screen, and um, and so I was making this film where I knew it was going to play a bunch of film festivals, and many of them would be horror, but a lot of them would be queer festivals, and I had never been, uh, I'd never screened at a queer festival before because I wasn't out, and I was like, you know what? If I'm gonna do this, I I have to be honest about why I'm doing this because I don't I don't want to make a mo- I don't want to make another movie that like kind of plays on the community I want I want the community to know that you know a lot of us went through some pretty terrible things with conversion therapy and even if it wasn't as terrible some of the worst things you you see or hear about just the mere fact of like having to having your parents say uh, you know please sit down with the priest and have a conversation about this and and what the priest says to you um, that's just as bad when you're when you're at an age and you're trying to figure out who you are so um, I wanted to talk about that I wanted to talk about my experiences and so I was like well I guess I guess I got to come out and uh, you know that point in time I was a lot closer and um, I talked to my wife about it uh, who's an amazing supportive woman and um, you know at that time she knew that something was going on and I said look this is gonna sound like the silliest thing ever but I'm gonna do a Kickstarter campaign for my film and I want to do it at the same time as I publicly come out as being trans Wow and she's like Okay. <laughs> so That's an interesting way to talk about it, to get that introduced, and an interesting way to tell everybody. I was like, well, obviously, you're the first person I'm telling. Yeah. Um, but I want to tell... Everybody, and I want them to understand why I'm doing it. That you know why I'm doing it now when I'm in my in my 40s. You know, uh, actually, my wife wasn't the first person I told. It was my actress.
1: I was just about to ask. Oh. Them, like if you had that conversation. I did. Answer? I
2: had to tell her. I was like, I, I was like, this is the weird. Uh, this is my first conversation. I want to have it with you because you're safer. Yeah. You know, you're not. You're not my wife who could like leave me. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the sad thing about it is most people who um, come out in the later years, if they're in a, in a marriage, like those marriages, even if they remain friends, it's very difficult for them to get to that next stage where mm-hmm. they're still together and happy um, and just living in, an, in a new um, understanding of each other. So I didn't know how that was gonna be. I mean, I thought my wife was cool, but I, I didn't know. So Sarah was safe and I and I wanted to share with her like my journey because it was really, without her, it wouldn't have happened. You know, I, I, I had written four films for her before before this. And then and then this was finally the one. And um, and I ended up actually splitting myself between her and another character who ended up being a trans character in the film. Mm -hmm. So um, so I told her and and she was very honored and just really wanted to like hear me. And she's like, I want you to tell me all the things that you have wanted to tell me for 10 years that you feel that you have felt. Mm -hmm. And so it was really great. Tried out a lot of different approaches, and I was like, "This is okay." And then, I, and then she actually helped me think about how I was gonna tell my wife.
0: Holy shit! Yeah. What so, a conversation.
2: Yeah, that's a, That's a true friend. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's amazing. So, in
1: because you, you'd done four films with her, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. In looking back at the previous parts that you had written, did anything stand out to you as like, oh, it was happening? Well, the one true. before that
2: was uh, was when she was pregnant, and I wrote uh, I wrote a film about um, basically being uh, uh, impregnated by an alien, mm-hmm. and um, and and the other character was never able. Was really jealous because she wasn't able to have a baby, mm-hmm. and so I realized mm-hmm. Sarah was pregnant, and I was having these feelings right. about like I'm jealous because I'm never going to be able to have a baby. Um, so, so there were, there were things, there were things like that. Um, but mostly, it's just that my films were always coming from a, a female perspective with a female lead, mm-hmm. and understanding the world that way. I would get so many compliments from all my actresses just about like, oh, you know, I've never read. Of female characters that are this, you know, detailed and by by a male writer, um, and I just I just took that as a compliment. You know, for a long time I, I just um, felt like I was doing I was I, I was doing just a great job writing, and then I then I realized kind of why why it, I felt easier to write those characters.
0: That's so fascinating, and it kind of makes sense. Like, as storytellers, the way that we move through the world is by doing projects, and it sort of makes sense that like the work of putting something together would unlock a doorway inside of you.
2: Absolutely, yeah. That's a, that's great, yeah. Because and then it would be every couple of years where we would do a film. So so each time it was a check in, like like uh, two years later, like okay, here's where I am now. Here's here's what this is now. So.
0: And is she in the latest film that you just shot?
2: So unfortunately she's this is the first thing she's not in, ah. she's not she's not in my my feature um, because it just didn't work because she had her second baby and she wasn't able to take like a month off to go mm. shoot a feature film, which is a much bigger commitment than let's go shoot a short film in, in three right. or four days. Yep. So, um, but I'm gonna find, I'm trying to find a like a phone call or a voiceover thing that she can do just, oh, that's so, fun. just so she'll be in there somewhere because it would be really weird to not have her yeah. in, in the film since she's in everything else. But then I, I was trying to cast somebody for the, I had written a role for her, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, and so then it became very difficult to find somebody to play that role because it was not just filling the role, but also they had to be both similar enough to my what I imagined as Sarah and different enough so that I wouldn't spend the whole time just being frustrated that it wasn't Sarah. Yeah,
0: because so. you can like get that detailed when reviewing performances, where it's like oh, I just want you slightly more this way and it's like they're never getting there.
2: Yeah, it's almost better for them to be further apart than 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 that similar to Yeah, those. than
0: that close. Well, because that's the whole um, thing with Tippi Hedren is that she was too close to Grace Kelly, but obviously wasn't Grace Kelly. Yeah. But that's a whole other story. <laughs>
2: it's like Gary Busey and Nick Nolte,
0: you know? It's yeah, like, exactly. oh, <laughs> you couldn't
2: get Nick Nolte? Okay, well, here's Gary Busey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just as good.
0: So I'd love to talk a little bit about your uh, feature film, Crimson Shadows. So it is a lesbian vampire story. Is that correct?
2: Correct. Yes. Okay.
0: So what is it about queer women and vampires that is such a classic peanut butter and jelly combination?
2: Well, it goes all the way back to Dracula's Daughter in the the 30s, which is the first universal horror film that has a female... uh, lead uh, as a monster. Mm. Um, and you know, the thing is that obviously American society and most of the world have kept women down in terms of power positions and, uh, vampires are always more powerful than humans. They're always able to control other people's feelings and thoughts and, and manipulate the action. And, um, so that's very—it's uh, a great place to put a female because they don't normally get that, and yeah. so you get both, kind of like, um, you know, what what are they under those circumstances? Do they handle the power differently than a man would, or or is it exactly the same? Um, and and then also it it just is fun for the actresses. Um, also, you vampires are inherently sexual, um, inherently always. Um, you know, if you read the original Dracula from Bram Stoker, there's like a there's a four-way gangbang scene um, with, you know, three women and, and a man up in an attic. Hell yeah. Yeah, and, and it's like, wait, I don't remember that. From, hey. for, but you just... Yeah, they didn't <laughs> put that in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it is it is it's suggested, is there, yeah, a little bit. You just don't get... I mean, if you're talking about Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, I don't know which one you're oh, talking about. Oh, I was thinking the
1: Bell Lugosi. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah. the <laughs> Bela Gosi movie does not follow the, the yeah. book hardly at all. But... Um, but, yeah, I mean, vampires always, because their action of killing is sucking blood, It ha- they have to get close to the human body. That It has to be somewhat sens- sensual. It requires lips on, on skin. Mm-hmm. And so that allows, with the woman, the woman has to be the aggressor if, it, if she, she's a female vampire. Um, and she can also attack women, which was, you know, that's very risque, but it was a way to get away with... Um, you know some lesbian material yeah. and and be like no no it's just a vampire you know um so that's always been really fun but again it's the ultimate outsider it's the same thing as a vampire um you know we all live during the day vampires live at night um you know we have a lifespan and and we get married vampires you know live forever and like they're always going to age past whoever they're with unless they you know turn that person to a vampire um or kill them um you know so that all all the things that that we take for granted the vampire has a different life and i think that is the thing that um you know women sort of identify with but especially queer women Mm -hmm. um and queer men i mean it's it's just you know the vampire is that is that character of um the 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 sensual sexual being
0: who is also um someone to be feared and and there's also, like, a tenderness sometimes that's portrayed, at least initially. Yeah. Like, I think about True Blood, or The Vampire Diaries, or a lot of these, like, long-standing mm-hmm. vampire courtship shows. Like, the first batch of episodes is always a woman locking eyes with a vampire across a crowded room, mm-hmm. and there being this, like, idea of connection that no one else is experiencing. And that's so inherently queer at its core. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Even for men, even like the depiction of men, the classic depiction like of Bella Lugosi or Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and in interview them. Oh, Man, sure. Like yeah. So queer coded, and they're just. A little, don't that tell Tom is. that. Yeah, no. No, absolutely
2: not. He'll freak out. <laughs> yeah. He'll jump out on a couch or
0: something. <laughs> Tom, you're not in here, right? <laughs> Although Michael Myers is hanging out in True. the corner of this room, and I keep locking eyes with him. That is a stuffed doll, right? That, that, there's not a real man in there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i mean if if it is a real man, he's done a very good job of holding still. there you go, yeah, he's, he's waiting, waiting for his
0: moment, that final moment, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I think that uh that idea of seeing someone across the room or connecting with somebody in a way that no one has ever connected before, getting yeah. right to the core of someone's heart and being that's such a that's such a queer idea, but it's also something we all want,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. so that's
2: what that's what it makes you know so desirable about a vampire film so yeah. um so in my film Crimson Shadows the uh the vampire is a woman who's you know been a vampire for 70 you know 170 years and eventually she decided she wanted to have a child mm-hmm. and so she stole one and she's been raising him but he doesn't want to be a vampire and so now when the film starts basically he's you know, in his late 60s, and he's dying of cancer. And the vampire, you know, is she still looks like she's in her late 20s. And that's, you know, her child. And so um, her way of taking care of her son is to go to a, a hospital and find a nurse and kidnap her and get her to basically do home hospice care in this, like, Crypt that they live in underneath the subway system in in Philadelphia.
0: Hell yeah, that and sounds then, like a great movie. Thank you. Yeah,
2: and then the lesbian, the the nurse is a lesbian, um, and the nurse and the vampire start having a very weird sort of courtship of mm. you know that sort of danger. Like oh, I kind of like you, but also I know you're a killer.
0: You know, I recently watched Daughters of Darkness for the first time. Great and film. That movie blew my mind. Not familiar. It is. Uh, Probably one of the more like visually stunning movies I've it's ever seen. It's so
2: beautiful. Did you see like the new restoration? Because they just did it like a, like a couple years. ago. I think that would be what I watched because yeah. I streamed it. It's so beautiful. The colors are just vivid, and and the the picture, the just the the stage picture. It's like you know the way people talk about Wes Anderson and how he understands um, color and uh, and visual uh, architecture. Um, it's all in. It's all in. Daughters of Darkness. Mm.
0: Yeah, it really kind of reminded me of the trend of um, mothering, where it's like there's, you know, like a strong female character or personality. And it was like, yeah, like we were definitely being mothered watching that movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is obviously a very uh, difficult time to be a filmmaker. And I'm curious how you kind of went about the process of putting together a feature film in a. Covid world in the economic conditions that are happening. Like I'm sure there are a lot of uphill battles that you were fighting, but how have you been able to persevere to the finish line? Have you filmed it?
2: Yeah, it is. It is filmed. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm in post production. I'm editing right now. Um, Yeah, uh, I think the quick answer would be not very well, (laughs) Um, because because you know I was when I was writing, we kept waiting for Covid to end. So we, we, you know, I wasn't working too hard to get the film done Mm because I was like, okay, well, eventually we're going to hear COVID's done, and then I'll be like, all right, well, let's shoot in a month. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just kept not happening, so eventually we're like, all right, well, I guess if we're going to do this, we're going to do it. And um, we didn't have enough money to um, make the whole film entirely, but we had enough money to shoot the film. And I was like, let's shoot the film worry about post-production later because who knows how long it's going to take and so we you know you have to get a COVID compliance officer um, and you have to be super careful on set about like the the food that's out and what you're touching mm-hmm. and of course you know some people are better about that than others we had a three week shoot for our first um, shooting which would, would have been in um, uh, 2022 May of 2022 and uh, we got 2 weeks into the 3 week shoot and then 3 out of the 4 producers th- the assistant um uh director and most of the PAs all got covid. Oh no. Including me. Oh no. I, I also got covid. And so um but we had built this set and we're like well this is ridiculous. We can't take this down and build it again. It was yeah. really a nightmare. So what we ended up doing was I directed the last four days of the shoot from a hotel
0: no. through Whoa.
2: cameras. I they had set three cameras up in the in the space and um, and I had a zoom feed and they could hear my voice and you know it was like the the the, the voice of God like oh, let's do that one again um, and um, and so we got what we got we got what we could get, but we knew that we had to come back. So basically yeah. then we had to wait nine months to raise enough money to go back and shoot one more week because we didn't get Wow, thing. yeah.
0: So. That must have been such a frustrating experience. It
2: was really frustrating and it also put everything on, on hold, like just the whole plan of like, when you make a movie, you're like, oh, well, we're going to get it done at this time so we can send it to this film festival and hopefully this will be our premiere. And, you know, you kind of have that all tracked out even when you, when you film. And that's just all gone completely out the window
0: yeah I'm navigating a bit of that right now with the short that I produced this summer and it's so fascinating how like the festival timelines work because I've it's been a few years since I've really submitted to festivals and it is like uh, if, if like you don't get the fall ones you really got to wait quite a bit
2: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean that are worthwhile to, yep. to submit it to yeah and and also for a feature it's really important where you premiere sure um and so so that's going to be something that we're you know we're going to hold out for and i right now it's like i'm trying to i'm trying to go as fast as i can but i also want to make sure it's good yeah so hopefully if all goes well i'll get it done and i'll get a good enough version in the next two months that i can then send that to people Mm. for next year and be like well this will be ready by the time you know your festival is because um, Frameline in San Francisco is in May and Outfest is in June. Those are the big queer festivals. Um, Inside Out is in April. That's in Toronto. So like you keep going backwards. Yeah. Uh, BFI Flair is in London. That's in March. So it's like uh, how much further back can I get that's safe to if we're, we'll have the film done? So
0: Yeah, that feels like the strategic window that you're looking for. And with your background is a film programmer how do you think that has informed how you create your own movies I think it's um, it's both
2: super fantastic that it helps me but it also um, really bad because I th- I know I know behind the scenes of what gets knocked, what knocks a film out and so I'm hyper aware of something that just happened on set that I maybe I can't Get over because I'm like, oh, that's Mm going to be a ding, you know, Mm -hmm. like oh, oh, we had our main character for three days and now we don't have him anymore, and I only have two or three takes of that one scene, and that's all I'm going to have. And I see that all the time as a film programmer, where you see like the high-profile star, and they don't give a great performance and you're like well it's not because they're not good it's because the director only had them for two days and they tried to shoot 15 scenes in two days and you just can't do that and and so they just didn't get enough takes of everything to make it to make it work and so we were really aware of that because we had Robert Picardo from Star Trek Voyager. Hell yeah. Uh, who's a big hero of mine. And I wanted him to look good on, on, on screen and I wanted him to have a good time. Um, and I, and I you know, I wanted people who are Robert Picardo fans to come to the the film and, and think he did a good job,
0: you know, enjoy his performance. So. Yeah, there's a heritage of fandoms like that that you need to be respectful for. And then you also have the genre that you're working within. So there's a lot that's within this project I'm sure that was like really exciting to get to play within that sandbox but there's also like oh fuck why have I given myself this much homework
2: exactly like like just the idea of like okay we're going to do blood right okay well I know now uh, all film make, all film programmers prefer practical effects nobody likes digital effects anymore That's that's what's so, okay so we got to do practical effects Well that's really complicated and I am not a blood person I don't know anything about special effects okay. and so you know you have to hire somebody to plan that out but also that means like if I don't understand it, like then I also am sort of giving myself to the day of to kind of see how it works and then planning my shoot around that. And who knows how many, you know, and, and maybe they're designing the trick based around their understanding of the screen of the screenplay that I didn't do a good job explaining Mm -hmm. because I don't understand how it works. So, so yeah, that, that, that's a, that's a good example of something I was like, Oh, why did I do that? You know, why did I make this so complicated? I'd done that in conversion therapist because there's an amazing moment where, um, they uh, use a circular saw and take somebody's arm off. And that was what I always wanted to see is just like somebody circul- circular sawing a- an arm off. And <laughs> and I got onto set and I was like, I have no idea how we're going to do this and I don't have enough money to pay the right person. And yeah. mm-hmm. so, you know, how how do we make this happen? And, you know, you if you're doing something that's kind of culty, you can get away with a, a few more things. So I think that also helped is like kind of knowing the tone of the kind of films that um, live in the space and knowing where this film might live when it, when it plays the festival circuit. It's not going to be, um, you know, let the right one in. It's not a serious drama. It's more of something fun and, and silly. It's a midnight movie. Yeah. Um, but it's a midnight movie that has a strong homage to all of the um, vampire movies of the 70s and mm-hmm. um, some of the uh, lesploitation films of the 70s. So.
1: I'm so glad your circular saw and dream came true. It did.
2: (laughs) I put that circular saw on the poster. So (laughs) I was like, I'm going to tell people, like, this is
0: coming. Prominently placed. (laughs) Love it. Well, folks at home, stick around. We will be right back with more Queertown. Welcome back to Queer Town. We are still hanging out with Bears Rebecca Fonte at We Love Video. And we just went around the store and grabbed some of our favorite queer horror titles off of the shelves.
1: And we should say, this space fucking rocks. Like, please come support this space because it's
0: very, very cool. It's really nice just to be inside of a place that has been this thoughtfully organized. We're recording this episode in their back theater, which is really fun. Uh, I think they're going to start doing screenings here in the upcoming months. And they've got some Halloween programming. So please come check this organization out. They're doing some really cool needed work. And it's just nice to have this resource uh, back in North Loop. Absolutely.
2: I was so sad when all the video stores started closing. And I was like, this is something that is so Austin. You know, we have to find a way to make this continue. And so, just stepping in here, this is the first time I've been in here, um, the care that has been put into this, just even just the design of the space with the rolling carts so that everything can move around and you can open it up and, and, you know, have an event here. um, It's really put together by somebody who loves movies.
1: Yes, this is, is going to sound a little corny, but like as we were going through it, I was like, I haven't had this tactile experience of like going movie by movie,
0: mm. like pulling them out
1: uh, since before the pandemic when um, I Love Video was still open. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I haven't had this experience in so long,
0: and I love this shit. I have this like infamous story when I was a kid where um, we were at Hollywood Video and. Um, I don't remember this, but my parents tell this story all the time. And I guess this is when like Mace Kerwick, the performer, was born. Uh, So we're like walking through the aisles and I like go up to my parents and I'm like, hey, um, so the faucet upstairs kind of broke, but don't worry about it. I put a towel over it. (laughs) 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 It's fine. I got it taken care of. Uh, (laughs) Needless to say, we did not rent anything that day. (laughs) (laughs) You had to get a Blockbusters uh, membership. Yeah, um, yeah, we had to run out of there in embarrassment. Okay, the first movie that I pulled off the shelves is the Blu-ray disc copy of Jennifer's Body. And there's an amazing little... um, uh, Created thing on here. I don't know if uh, We Love Video did this or if someone that they pulled the DVD from had it, uh, but it says, "Got a tampon? I thought you might be plugging." And I think this is a direct quote from yes. the movie. And <laughs> this is a movie that I saw in theaters my senior year of high school. Oh wow! And it was <laughs> this. Is, get this. It was the movie that made me want to be a filmmaker. <laughs>
2: I mean, <laughs> incredible. I think that's great. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I walked out of there and I was like, "Yeah, I want to do something like that one day." It's
2: so sexy and mm-hmm. and it, and it's so like in your face queer. Yes, um, and I, I, I'm surprised it got made. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, but I'm also on, on the other hand surprised it's not like like when it came out, it wasn't the biggest film ever. Right. You know, because because we were you know. We bef- Megan Fox was already somebody that everybody had the hots for. Amanda Seyfried was already somebody that people considered like one of the best actresses out there. And mm-hmm. Diablo Cody was the writer who wrote the best written film of the last ten years at that time, which yep. you know wrote Juno. Yeah. Um, and so people were ready for it. And uh, and I remember being excited about it and going to the movie theater. And then it not. And then and then it not being a super success and I couldn't figure out why it wasn't.
0: Yeah. I don't know. We're afraid of it. Yeah. What didn't click with people? I mean, it's definitely very over the top, but to me, that's what makes it great. I mean, the version we're looking at here is unrated and Megan Fox's body literally has unrated in like bloody lettering. Like this is the movie we're talking about. Yeah, it's like, I don't
2: remember that. I don't remember that scene in the film where she wrote unrated (laughs) in blood on on
0: her stomach. It must be in this version. Right. It's in one of the,
2: you know, I'll cut for yeah
1: yeah. it has that badge of honor of a movie that wasn't successful I don't think it was marketed super well when it came out mm-hmm. Um and then like over the years I mean yeah I think you bring this up in front of any like horror queer nerds like of course that's, that's of one course of the, that's one body. of
0: the central tomes I mean look at the supporting cast we've got Johnny Simmons, J.K. Simmons, Amy Sedaris, and Adam Brody as a rock star. Adam Brody. Yeah, (laughs) like that is a movie that was made in 2009. Yeah, let's fucking go.
2: It's almost coming up on its 15th anniversary.
0: Yeah, next year, buckle up.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I hope they do some screenings, like some yeah. some get the cast back together and, you know, it'd be nice. It'd be nice to roll that out again.
0: It would be. And especially with like all of the shit that Megan Fox has received throughout her career. I think it would be really cool to kind of reclaim this one.
2: You know what? She's really good in that film, too. Like yeah. people said like when Transformers she didn't do much. She was just sexy, right? But this film she is funny and yeah. powerful and um and I, I, remember, I remember seeing Transformers and saying, like, that, she's really good. She's going to go somewhere. And everybody was like, what are you talking about? And then I saw Jennifer's body, and I felt very validated because I was like, no, no, I saw something in one line or something in Transformers that made me think that, oh, she's
0: she's got something. Yeah. And she's so good in Jennifer's body. Yeah. Highly recommend if you haven't checked it out. Okay, Javi, what'd you grab?
1: Uh, So I grabbed uh, Hellbent, uh, which is a very difficult movie to find um, streaming wise. But this was a horror movie that came out in 2005. It it, it takes place in West Hollywood on Halloween. Wow. Yep.
0: Uh, Gay. uh, No,
1: it's a bunch of gays dancing in the West Hollywood Halloween carnival and turns deadly for four gay friends. When two men are found dead, the friends find that they are the killer's next target. It. and the killer is this uh impossibly muscular man with a wild mask and he kills people with i don't know how to pronounce this a scythe
2: yeah a scythe yeah. A
1: Scythe, right yeah 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 or a scythe uh, yes yes uh and that's his weapon of choice is this a good movie no not at all <laughs> uh but it's wild that it exists um and uh it was is a very it's a fun watch can you read the poll quote on the back one of the most entertaining and ferociously original slashers to come along in quite some time.
0: And who's it by?
1: Horrorreview.com. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Amazing. Uh, that's yeah, somebody's no. website that they just put up. Like, yep. Yeah. Yeah, that is a Tumblr. So they blog. could get free screeners. Yeah. Yep.
1: <laughs> um, but no, it's full. I mean, it's a slasher. It's just like, okay, let's get hot boys being murdered by a hot boy killer. And that's essentially the premise of the film.
2: Is the killer. Queer, or can you not tell us that without ruining it?
1: Um, uh, I don't recall. I don't recall that we ever learn anything about the killer. So it doesn't. It's not a homophobic thing, like killing. Okay. No, 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 Mm -mm. no. But fun, fun watch. Highly recommend.
2: Because now I feel like that's very possible to happen. Just on the streets today, there could be some crazy MAGA guy coming out and killing a bunch of queers at at the West Hollywood parade and yeah. i yeah. wouldn't even be a horror film it would be the news exactly yeah
0: and i guess that's what separates the real world from this movie is that it's like a sexy guy who's doing the kills yeah <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah that yeah. Naga guy is yeah. never sexy no he's no like, <laughs> He looks like he's off Duck dynasty and he's not doing it with
1: a scythe either
0: mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah or like a, a six-pack showing yeah this looks like a knockoff daredevil mask that this guy's wearing
1: yeah, this was in that early two thousands. We've talked about this a million times around how there were a lot of you know uh, queer films were just not mainstream, and they weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, They weren't popular. And so there was just a lot of indie stuff. And there's like a lot of pretty bad indie films. Oh, and this is 100%. And I think this is one of the studios that would often, you know, I
0: was talking with a friend of ours, Blair Stokes, a few years ago. You might know this, Javi, but just including everyone else in this. And I'd been talking up the Eating Out franchise. And I showed her the first movie and was legitimately embarrassed at how (laughs) terrible it was. Like in my head, I thought it was laughably bad yeah. but it was just bad
2: <laughs> yeah sometimes you don't realize how bad something is until someone else is sitting there with you and you're you're, you're going through it a <laughs> second time and you're like oh i really didn't need to see this a second time yeah Absolutely, yeah
1: but it's such a testament to like at that age finding those queer films and like you know now there's so much representation uh still not enough but there's a lot more than there mm-hmm. were like in the early 2000s and like I would glom onto those movies, some of those movies that, like, I, you know, I'm like, this is not a good movie, but, like, I love this movie and have so much affection for it.
0: Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, that was um, childhood for us. Yeah. Okay, Bears, Rebecca, what did you grab?
1: Uh, so
2: I grabbed a, a classic, uh, The Hunger, which is a Tony Scott vampire film, one of the many vampire films I watched to uh, to study up for my, my film. Um, and it's got David Bowie in it, uh, which is, you know, pretty amazing. And uh, it has this great lesbian relationship uh, that is understated and pretty and beautiful and... Uh, the film is like almost nothing happens in it. Yeah. It's like it's like waiting waiting for murder but nothing, but nothing, you know.
0: It's so stylized. It really kind of um speaks to like eroticism in a way in like how sometimes you're just like waiting to be turned on.
2: Yeah. I actually think this isn't the film, though, now that I'm looking at it. Oh, no. It says The Hunger, but then it, it looks like this is actually three films. It says stories to make your blood curdle and your hormones race. <laughs> and that's not, and, and it's got an 18-plus thing on it, so I think I grabbed the wrong, but yeah, it's called <laughs> The Hunger. It's not it David say, Bowie. And it says Tony Scott and Ridley Scott present, so I don't know what this was. <laughs> wow. They got their these people to put their names on these movies. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it so. looks like
0: we have Room 17, Red Light, in footsteps.
2: I've not seen any of them, but looking at the back, <laughs> um, there are some hot pictures, you know, uh, whatever. I'm not going to recommend those <laughs> films. But but um, The Hunger, you know, it comes from that time in the 80s when, um, you know, we didn't have a, as many auteurs. You, you know, we lived mm-hmm. through the 70s where there were all these auteurs, and I think we were starting to find try to find new ones, and I think Tony Scott was given a little more leeway than... He should have been um, or ever would be again. Uh, and uh, and he really, he really brings it. And I think it's his best film and certainly the most beautiful looking.
0: It's such an incredible movie. I have a funny story about that. My dad, uh, it came out when he was in college in upstate New York, and he went to go see that movie, knew nothing about it, and literally stayed in his seat for the next screening of it and watched it back to back.
2: Wow. Yeah.
0: And when I saw it, I think I was similarly his age in college, and it's just fucking incredible yeah. and I was so into it that I actually like went to the library and I rented the book it's based off of and highly recommend checking that out as well they really flesh out the world of the vampires um, and how uh, the whole relationship exists between because um, it is like a sort of like polyamorous threesome that's um, happening hmm. Catherine Deneuve yeah I never know how to say her last yeah, name
2: she's so beautiful she is um, you know it's funny that you say they flesh it out because one of the things I love about the movie is that they don't flesh it out. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're in this world and none of the same vampire rules that you think exist are the, are from, you know, you never know with a vampire movie what are the rules until they tell you. Mm-hmm. And this one they never tell you. Mm-mm. They never solve anything. And, and you're just, they're just like, you know what, just watch it.
0: I think the movie does a very good job of like bringing you into the headspace of being attracted to someone that you don't understand and sometimes uh, like I think this is like a um, archetype of a lot of filmmaking where there's like the jaded ex who's like stay away from that person they're dangerous but they won't fully tell you why and then like in this one it's David Bowie but he's dying and it's I don't know it's a great movie highly recommend
2: so do you remember the shot where he's sitting in the the police station and he's on like he's on the couch or maybe it's a he's no he's not a police station it's a it's a hospital because he's trying to figure out what's going on and Mm -hmm. he's sitting in the chair and behind him there's this this really bright window and all this light is flooding over him that moment I found so iconic. I, I screenshot it and I gave it to my D P and I oh. said, We're gonna recreate this shot in yeah. my in my movie. Oh um, yeah. So there are a couple of things like that in Crimson Shadows where uh, which by the way may not be Crimson Shadows if you're listening to this in the in the future.
0: Oh it, that's huh? the
2: working title. Okay. So, yeah.
0: Could be something else.
2: So look it up by my name. Yes. It might be called something else. Yeah. Uh, can, but
1: can I ask what if there are other um specific vampire movies that informed um, like the aesthetic of your film,
2: absolutely. The the, the main ones um, are all by um, this French director. He did a film called The Shiver of the Vampires. Um, he did four vampire-themed films in in the '70s uh, and late '60s, and the last one he did um, in 1979 is called Fascination. And maybe is a vampire film but they never give you any of the details but Mm -hmm. it's basically these two women are in this old castle and this guy is running from the law because he like um, stole a bunch of stuff and he's also turning on his his other heist fellow heist members so he's trying to escape and he gets into this house and there's these two women there and he's like what is going on and the women are like totally into each other Um, and then they're also like trying to get him to stay Mm -hmm. and it's like oh is it a sex thing and it turns out no they're just keeping him there so that when all the other women show up that night they have dinner <laughs>
0: so, Yeah, it's
2: an amazing movie it's yeah. totally like sexual and mm-hmm. totally female empowerment so that was the main movie that i that i that i showed everybody but um th- there's a, a lot of his films they're they're all available like they're all being like uh Redone in 4K just recently because people are rediscovering him. But Gene Roland is his name.
0: Gene Roland. I would like to check him out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know we only had. One movie that we were supposed to grab, but um, I broke the rules. But you grabbed four, yeah, I grabbed four. <laughs> um, so I also grabbed The Fly, which is interestingly enough paired with The Fly 2, which I have not seen. I, uh, I knew there was a fly, can't too. recommend that one. <laughs> uh, but I love The Fly. Um, I'm someone where I really love movies from the 50s, which uh, I'll get to in a second because that was one of my other picks. Uh, but I love how it is that stereotypical love drama from the 50s but it's this like weird body horror that was made in the 80s it's this like fascinating blend of genres and Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum are so sexy in it like really buy their chemistry together
2: well, I think anytime you're doing a body transformation film, it, it has a, a queer context for sure. 100 percent, right? Yeah. It's built right in. It's yeah, it's built in there. You can't mm-hmm. escape that. Um, yeah, uh, isn't wasn't there a fly in the 50s? Isn't it based on yep. an original? It is. Yeah, yeah,
0: and it. I love how it's David Cronenberg, I believe. Yes, it is. And uh, he brings that melodrama into things. And, like, the way that Gina Davis is dressed and the way that she's, like, pleading with him at certain times, it's, like, commenting upon the way that female actresses were coached in the 50s. Because it's a lot of, like, the standing next to someone. uh, But it's, like, made in the 80s. So it's got, you know, the, like, weird scenes with like her editor where he's like business and power hungry and yeah. it's like bringing in that modern or then modern dynamic um and just the the uh, makeup and special yeah. effects um i don't know it uh it really did it for me and then the other two that i grabbed are this is a children's horror movie or perhaps it could be uh my neighbor totoro uh, I love this movie. It is a Miyazaki film. You can watch it on HBO Max, mm-hmm. but you can also come here to We Love Video and rent it on DVD. And it is an amazing movie about these two sisters who move to the middle of nowhere in Japan. Y'all have seen this one, right? Actually, I've n-
1: never seen any Miyazaki Oh, my God. You've okay. never seen any, any? Miyazaki Okay,
0: yeah. you yeah. need to leave with this movie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> This movie is so good. Uh, there's a sequence that happens in the woods while they're waiting for their dad to come back from a bus that... I find it to be genuinely terrifying. Um, I mean, it's not like that scary, but there is like a, um, you feel the loneliness. And like that can be very scary for me at least. Um, Incredibly uh, well animated and very moving visuals. And then the last one, um, this is the wild card of the bunch. All That Heaven Allows by Douglas Sirk. This is a Rock Hudson movie that to me is one of the scariest depictions of... Cis heteronormative lifestyles in America. Mm. So Douglas Sirk was born in, I think, Germany. And this is basically his commentary of the like beautiful white picket fence life in the 50s and how oppressive it was and how people weren't really allowed to get outside of the trappings that held them within their um, social and relationship roles. And it's about an older woman who falls in love with a younger guy, but it really reads to me like Rock Hudson is playing a closeted man who does not know Mm -hmm. how to love. It, It feels like the most like Rock Hudson, like the actor like at the forefront of the movie that he ever was throughout his career um and i did watch it on shrooms so this analysis um (laughs) (laughs) might be a little weighted but uh but it's
2: a criterion collection film so it's got to be good even you know it's incredible
0: but it has this like sinister quality to it where they're leaning into this like soapy melodramatic energy and it never escapes it Mm. and it feels suffocating at certain points because it's just so that movie it's never breaking into comedy it's always like really high stakes romantic drama Mm. and um her like children are like Fucking awful to her. They're like so judgmental of the fact that she's dating a guy who uh is like a landscaper. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Why would you ever date anyone outside of this um social group that we're in? Um yeah, it's a very frustrating watch, which I think is why I would personally classify it as an October watch. Nice. Yeah.
2: Since we're talking about queer film, can I just ask you guys a question? This is a question I bring up anytime I'm talking about queer horror. Sure. You've seen the Babadook, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So why why (laughs) did that become a queer film? Like, what is what is it about? Is it just the Babadook dresses like a like a closeted lesbian or something? Like, I don't understand (laughs) how it became a a queer icon.
1: I I I think that it's an intersection of like at that time like the ironic internet. Um, humor mm-hmm. um, that was really emerging on Twitter and like really gay Twitter. Um, and I think like, especially like, especially on social media, like queers have the ability to take something and claim it as their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and the connections there are not super clear all the time. Uh, but it was the first one that like Yeah, yeah. I think it started as a meme.
2: Like it was a spurious connection, and they're just like, let's just claim this and say that it's queer, and just see what people. But I also think
1: it's a film that has like a pretty fantastic uh, female performance, which of course is always like kind of upheld Mm -hmm. um, in especially like amongst like gay men. We're always like, you know, mother. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that might have been part of the connection. But that I don't know. That's my thought on it.
0: I have a queer connection that's just personal to me that no one else has experienced. Or if you have, um, I don't know, let us know. (laughs) Uh, So when I saw that movie, I saw it with a friend of mine who was pet-sitting a female French bulldog. And she fell asleep. The dog climbs up on the couch next to me and starts aggressively humping my leg. (laughs) So uh, that happened the entire time the movie was going on. So I'm watching the Baba Duke and I'm literally trying to like push this dog <laughs> off of me and she is going to town on my leg. <laughs> I, don't,
2: I don't know if that's particularly queer
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you walked away and you were like Bob and Duke you're a queer actor yeah. <laughs> I'm like something I mean, weird just happened yeah. <laughs> yeah you're right it's not queer at all it was just weird I mean yeah. what was
2: the gender of the dog female okay so no
0: yeah uh, you, no. Just had, you had a
2: heterosexual relationship with that with that dog <laughs> <laughs>
0: nothing,
2: nothing queer but there's nothing no- uh, abnormal about that
0: oh my god that is hysterical <laughs> Uh well Bears Rebecca, it has been fantastic sitting down with you Absolutely. and getting to talk about your filmography and obviously all the cool stuff going on at We Love Video. Um and I feel like as always we could continue talking.
2: Yeah. For, it's
0: been so fun. Yeah, for a while. Um yeah, uh, I don't know, is there anything coming up that our listeners could help support or um, attend, follow you on? Well, I will just say that my
2: my day job is I am a programmer at AGLIF, which Mm -hmm. is the All Genders, Lifestyles, and Identities Film Festival, the queer festival here in Austin. It is the oldest film festival in town, so it's older than South By, older Mm -hmm. than AFF. Um, It is also the fourth oldest queer festival in America. So we are entering our thirty-seventh year, and uh, we always, you know, we do monthly screenings and we do a a very large film festival. I always try to play some horror stuff, um, some 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 genre stuff as much as possible. And uh, yeah, come check it out. It's the membership is only twenty-five dollars a month, and with that, you get free movies all year round. So awesome, amazing,
1: very cool. Uh, is there anywhere social media wise where folks can follow you?
2: Yeah, my about- uh, my X account. Is that, <laughs> do we have to say that now? Because I want to say my Twitter account, my X account, um, is at bearsfonte, um, and my uh, my Insta is at bearsrebeccafonte. Which just shows you like when I when I started those accounts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, I think those are those are those are the two. I yeah, I won't give you my. My grinder account. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it is out there. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, from all of us here in Queertown, stay classy, stay queer. Bye, y'all. Well, that's all, folks. Queertown is a Hey Kerwick production. Each episode is lovingly produced by yours truly and Kristen Washington. Our editor is Drewski Hewlett, and our project manager is Elizabeth Easterly. Visit Queertown on Instagram and Twitter for more updates on today's episode. Thanks for being here and thanks for being queer. Bye, babes.